to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We are continuing our story of Jesus. That's the title of this uh, sermon series, The Story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And we're working our way through Luke. We are in Luke chapter 8 today. And as I read the story, we're going to read one of the most unusual, strange, bizarre stories in the Bible. And that's saying something. There's some pretty bizarre stories in the Bible when you get into things where Satan's trying to fight against God and that kind of stuff. But anyway, it reminded me of an experience I had long time ago. Long, long, long time ago. Let me think. When that? When was that? Mm, boy, back 1986 to 89, somewhere in there. That period in our life, we were youth pastors in Mesa, Arizona. And just east of Mesa, Arizona are the Superstition Mountains, a very mysterious place, lots of Indian legends and things like that. But people like to go hiking up into the Superstition Mountains. Now, They're not mountains like, you know, the Appalachians or the Rockies, okay? They're not that high. But they're actually out in the middle of the desert, and you've got desert-like conditions all the way over the mountains, okay? You're not like climbing up into the pines or anything like that. It's like desert, but they're mountains. So anyway, went out one day to go hiking with some other people. Um, I think it may have been a time my parents were visiting, but I'm not sure. But we went out to go hiking into the Superstition Mountains. There's a number of places you can... Uh, park down around the base and you hike up and so we hiked up and it would take about an hour hour and a half two hours to get up toward the top and when we got to the top I saw something I had never seen before and I hope I never see again it was a man I don't mind seeing men I'm just saying but this man in particular this man was kind of emaciated he had long scraggly hair he had this long beard he was very sun, he is very very dark but in places sunburned um he was a very unusual man and the only thing he had on his body was a loincloth and it was a very loose loincloth now i don't want to paint any more pictures beyond that other than it was weird and we talked to him a little bit he didn't seem to be totally there but He said he'd been living up there for a while, and he was going to stick around for a while. I thought, this is really strange. But that makes me think of the story we're getting ready to read about today. The title of our message today is Jesus versus Legion. Some of you may be familiar with this story where Jesus has an encounter with a man that would probably be very similar to the man I just described, but without the loincloth. But this man was, as we call it, possessed by a great multitude of demons. And there was a spiritual encounter between him and Jesus. I'm just so glad that if that guy I met was demon-possessed or that he didn't manifest it. I mean, I'm confident in my, you know, my, my, my relationship with Jesus and the power he makes available to all of his, all of his children. But I'm glad I didn't have to have some kind of demonic encounter that day. But it made me think of that. So let's jump into this story. It's a little bit longer, but it's in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 26 through 39. This story is also found in Matthew 8 and Mark chapter 5 with some other details. 
The background of this story, if you were here last week, you might remember, we looked at Jesus and his disciples climbing into a boat on the west side of the Sea of Galilee to go to the east side. You see, Jesus has an appointment here. That's what we're reading about today. And he's so tired, he falls asleep. A great tumultuous storm raises up. They're in danger of capsizing and all drowning. And the disciples wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, we're perishing. We're going to drown. We're going to die. And Jesus gets up, looks around, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. I mentioned last week the fact that he rebuked them rather than just telling them to calm may indicate there were spiritual forces involved that were stirring up that storm. And when the storm calmed immediately, Jesus looked at the disciples and says, where's your faith? Again, last week I said, I don't think it was a, a a little bit of rebuke there, but more like, okay, where are you putting your faith? Do you have faith in me? Do you really? Do you really? And the disciples said, who is this man? Who is this man who even has power to calm winds and waves? Because no other human being has ever exhibited that kind of power in the history of mankind and throughout biblical history. Only God. Now, the reason I went back and reviewed all that, because this story, in addition to what it's going to teach us today, answers their question. When the disciples say, who is this man? They're going to get an answer, but not from Jesus. They're going to get an answer from demons. So, let's jump in. Luke, chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Then they, Jesus and the disciples, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he'd worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. At this point, we're not sure if it's the man speaking or the demons or demons through the man. Probably the demons. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter those. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Very, very unusual, unique story. A couple little details I want to mention, just so you have a better understanding of what's going on and what the background is. 
But as I said, Jesus and the disciples, after this tumultuous storm in the middle of the night, arrive on shore very possibly when we compare the accounts at daybreak or very shortly afterwards in the morning. And up on the hillside is a graveyard. And we think of a graveyard with tombstones. And, and there was probably monuments and markers and that kind of stuff. But chances it are, since it was on the hillside, it was actually talking about a place that had caves whether natural or man-made, because that's how people would bury. They would dig holes into the side of a cliff many times to serve as the graves. And there is this man. We don't know how he got into the condition he got into, although we're going to talk a little bit this morning about how people get themselves into positions where they are uh, affected by demonic spirits. But we don't know how he got there. But he is, as we call today, possessed. And I say as we call today because the Bible, when you look into the original meaning of the words and stuff, is a little bit different. But it just means that these demons have control over him. And they are inside him because it says Jesus, Jesus cast them out. And so this man who has all these demons, not just one, not just two, when Jesus asks his name, he says, Legion. A legion was an official Roman military unit. It consisted of officially 5,600 soldiers. Does that mean this guy had exactly 5,600 demons? I don't know. I don't know that that's that important. What it's trying to convey is that there's a great army of demons. In fact, the demons might have been lying just to try to intimidate Jesus. Didn't work. I'm sure it intimidated the disciples. I would love to see the video of what the disciples were doing during this. I don't know if when we get to heaven, if God will let us look back and see what was happening. Okay. So this man had these demons in his life. They were controlling him. It gave him superhuman strength. Apparently, he was a threat to others because they tried to lock him up. They tried to chain him up. They would put shackles on him, and he would break them loose. He couldn't do that. It was the power of the demons within him. The demons would drive him out into the desert, and he would live among the tombs. The story in Mark says that he was busy cutting himself, crying out loud, probably scaring everybody half to death. A miserable man in a very unusual circumstance. He was naked. He was violent. He couldn't be subdued or restrained. People were afraid of him. He's probably afraid of himself. So he comes out. And Jesus apparently rebuked the demon, asked him to leave, and he didn't leave immediately, which is very interesting, and we have no information about why that was so, other than to give us this story. And in the process, the demons speak through Jesus and say, what do you have to do with us? What do we have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? There's the answer to the disciples' question when they were on the boat. Who is this man, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? You know, I want to tell you, say something just a little aside here. Demons believe the truth. They know the truth. They know the truth and believe the truth more than we do sometimes. And that just really emphasizes the point that we need a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not just about what you know and even what you say you believe. James tells us that the demons believe and they tremble. They don't have a relationship with God. So learn all you can about Jesus, but don't depend on your knowledge to have a relationship with him. It can certainly add to and strengthen that relationship. So anyway, the demons call this out, and, and many Bible scholars believe the reason that they said it this way, and, and it, it made it this long title, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, there was this kind of superstitious idea 
in their culture that if you knew the full name and title of somebody, you could somehow have control over them. So some see here that perhaps these demons were trying to get some kind of control or, or to, uh, over Jesus or to intimidate him, but it certainly didn't work. They said, don't send us into the abyss. The abyss is the final resting place, the final destination for Satan and all of the spiritual forces that are under his control. We read about that in Revelation. And basically, it was saying, it's not time for us to go there. Don't send us there now. And they said, instead, let us go into those pigs, a big herd of pigs on the hillside. And Jesus basically says, okay. I mean, he didn't tell them to go into the pigs. I mean, the question is, why would Jesus do something that would destroy so many animals and the economy and all? Jesus didn't do it. They just said, let us go. He just, whatever, go. I, you know, go. Could be in his humanity. Jesus didn't even know what would happen when the demons went into the pigs. But the pigs ran down the slope and they died. And it's either Matthew or Mark tells us that there were 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs. So the man is delivered. The man's delivered. But we see that as the word gets back to the people, the people who are hurting the pigs, they're taking care of the pigs, they go back to town, tell what happened, and the entire town comes out, and they are scared to death, and they ask Jesus to leave. Can you imagine Jesus doing some phenomenal miracle that you verify because you've known this man probably for years? The story says that this man has been like this for a long time. And here he is totally delivered, clothed, in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, carrying on a conversation. And all they can think of is, Jesus, leave. (laughs) Get away from here. It says they're afraid. What are they afraid of? We don't know for sure. He obviously had caused a lot of economic problems. Not that Jesus caused them, but the demons did because the pigs were all drowned. And it could be, this guy caused a big problem for us. What else is he going to do? It could be they sensed the power that he had, even though they hadn't seen the event. And maybe they were resistant to the power of God. We don't know for sure, but because of their fear, they asked Jesus to leave. It's such a shame that they were more concerned about their needs and their economic prosperity and all those things than they were about this man who had been so tormented for so long. And now he's totally set free. Very unusual story. The story I started out with was a very unusual story. But chances are, most of us will probably not come across a person like this. A situation like this. So what can this story teach us today? It can teach us a lot. And that's what I want to jump into today. There's a number of points that I want to bring out that we see illustrated in this story that even though we don't face the, may not face the exact same situation or circumstances, it has a tremendous impact on our lives today. And the first point I want to make and I want to bring out to you is that Satan is real and extremely powerful. Satan is real and extremely powerful. The devil is a real spiritual being. I know that that is not something that is believed by our society, by our culture. It's not even believed by some people, quote, of faith. There's this idea, well, it's just a picture that was kind of developed to personify the evil that is in the world and all that kind of stuff. But Satan is real. Scripture makes it clear that he is a real spiritual being. And there are demons, demonic spirits that are under his Control, And you can do a study about how that came to be and all that kind of stuff. But Satan is real and he's extremely 
powerful. We see that in the story of this man. What he did to this man, the conditions under which he kept this man subdued. We see this in the effect on the pigs as the demons entered into those pigs and they basically went crazy and rushed off a bluff or down the hill or whatever and got drowned in the lake. We can see it in other stories in Scripture. There's some in the Old Testament. There's a lot more when we look at the stories of Jesus as he comes across people in need of healing and other help. And some of the help that they needed was deliverance from demonic spirits. These demonic spirits could cause all kinds of emotional distress and pain. The demonic spirits could cause some physical things. There are certain people that Jesus healed um, of physical diseases and conditions that the Bible makes it very clear were either caused by or amplified by the presence of demonic spirits. But not all of them were. We'll get back to that a little bit later because sometimes people try to associate a demonic spirit behind everything. But we see in Scripture that Satan is real and extremely powerful. And Satan wants to come against each and every single one of us. So Scripture tells us what to do. If we are a believer, if we are a disciple, we're a follower of Jesus, we have a relationship with God because we've surrendered our lives to Christ and we're trusting in Him for salvation, the Bible says His Spirit dwells within us. And in the instructions that are given in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is the enemy that we have. Satan is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. He is likened to a roaring lion seeking prey to kill and devour. And we are to be aware of that. We need to be alert to that. We need to be watching out for that. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this in verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes. He has plans for you. And it's not to give you a hope in the future from that verse we love to quote from Jeremiah. So Paul tells believers, you need to be aware of this. Put on the armor of God so you can stand against these schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, even though we may have conflict between us and somebody else, difficulties, whatever, that's not the primary problem we have. There are spiritual forces arrayed against us. And we've got to defend ourselves. And right after these two verses, he goes into a description of the armor of God. And that's a great study we're not going to get into this morning because we don't have the time. But the things that need to be present in our life that's like putting on armor that can help protect us from Satan and his schemes that can help repel the attacks that he sends against us. A question is often raised. Why don't we see more obvious demonic activity in the United States? Perhaps you've heard stories from missionaries or other people who have traveled in other parts of the world and they go into certain countries and they have experiences where they see people who are demon-possessed and they act in very unusual, bizarre, strange ways. 
I have to confess that even though I'm sure I've been around people in situations where people were tremendously controlled in a, with a demonic, evil uh, presence, it's not something that I've ever been totally, completely aware of as a bizarre or unusual thing here in the United States. But I know my wife, Pastor Jan, has gone on a number of missions trips, and she has experienced this. She has seen this. Places in Africa, places in India. I remember she was talking about the one time she was in India, and there was a service, and after the service was over, they were praying for people, and this lady began to manifest these unusual things. She fell on the floor. She began to writhe and wriggle around. It was quite obvious that she was under demonic control, and the pastor's wife called her over and says, let's pray for this lady. Then all of a sudden, a second lady began to do the same thing, and they said, we got to split up, and so they each prayed, and, and God delivered them, but that kind of stuff happens. You might hear that say, we don't see that, really, at least... Most of us probably in the circles we go, why is that? Is it because we're more civilized? All I can tell you that in my perspective and what I see in God's word is that Satan's got a purpose. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And he wants to, destroy, he wants to cause us problems. And he's going to use whatever method will work. And I believe that there are probably certain cultures or even circumstances under which that kind of activity accomplishes his plan. And so that's what he does. My opinion is that we don't see more here in the United States because he doesn't need to. What do I mean? He's able to accomplish work quite well without obvious activity. He is so actively involved in our culture. Just read the news. You read these horrific stories of human beings and what they do and what they're involved in. It's like, how in the world could a human being just do that or be that way or whatever? And chances are there are demonic spirits, demonic forces that are involved in that. And that's the way he works primarily, I believe, in our culture. If he accomplishes purposes that way, he has no need to try to possess someone and allow them to manifest that possession in a way that would scare people to death. Although, if it would work, he probably would do that. And he probably does. We just don't see it a lot. We see that this demonic control or possession, the obvious sort, is common in places where people worship evil spirits, which opens them up wide to see that happen. But you know what? The devil is just as effective if he can convince people he doesn't even exist. Can I tell you that Satan is being effective if he can convince somebody that there really isn't a Satan and they just need to live for themselves and live by themselves and they don't need God and they can reject God and they can reject God's um, authority and reject God's um, idea of what life is really about and reject God's salvation. And if he can do that by allowing people to be basically calm and peaceful and pain-free and all that kind of stuff, he'll do it. Whatever works. He's very pragmatic. But you know what? Even though we may not see a man or some other human being, woman, boy, girl, whatever, in the state this man is in specifically, the condition he's in, his mindset, the things he's battling with, we see people in our culture battling with all the time. What do I mean by that? Isolation. Homelessness. Now, I am not at all trying to say that homeless people are demon-possessed or that any or all or most are affected by demons that could be, but probably not any more, maybe not any more than anybody else might be, but homelessness is a sign. We see this in his life. Broken relationships, violence, self 
destruction. Why is it that people sometimes feel such a strong desire to hurt themselves, to destroy themselves? I believe there's spiritual forces at work there. People out of control, a lack of shame and decency, mental distress. And again, I'm not trying to say that any and every person that has some kind of mental illness or mental problems is, is demon-possessed or it's necessarily affected by demons. It could be, but I'm just, I'm just saying we don't want to make a blanket statement here. But these things are signs and evidence of the work of evil, evil spirits. Powerlessness of other people to help. All these things are evident in our society, even without these bizarre experiences with, quote, demon-possessed people. Satan is real, and he's extremely powerful. The second thing I've already alluded to this is that Satan wants to destroy us. Satan wants to destroy us. I think the clearest place, we see it in a very succinct way, is when Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And here you see the great summary of God's plan and purpose for mankind, the very reason for which he created this world and the people within it was to make abundant life where humankind can have relationship with God in peace, prosperity, enjoyment. But the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. So he got involved at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Tempted her to turn her back on God and do her own thing. Follow his instructions. And ever since, there's been that, 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 that rebellion against God fueled by demonic powers. And it leads to bondage. It leads to death. It leads to theft, steal, kill, and destroy. We see that in this story. All that this man had been robbed of by the demonic forces. Almost his basic humanity. We see it in its effect on the pigs, the destruction that is there. And I just want to tell you that I believe that for most of us, maybe not all of us, because some of us are more discerning, maybe some of us are more uh, aware or whatever, although I would say that probably none of us are totally that way. I mean, I've got to pray about this myself, but... What I'm trying to say is I believe that Satan is involved in our lives more than we think, more than we're aware. But as I mentioned, he's not behind everything. There are some people that go too far the other way. You know, Satan's behind everything. Every time you turn around, there's, there's a devil, there's a demon, there's, there's, the, there's Satan, okay? There are those two extremes. People deny and ignore Satan and his forces, and there are those who see them everywhere behind everything, but I want to make it very, very clear that we can't blame everything on Satan. I know I painted a very negative, by the way, it's going to get very positive here in a moment, okay? Very negative picture of our enemy and his power and his forces and what he wants to do to us. But we can't blame him for everything. In fact, that's one of the things that happened from the very beginning too. You know, after Eve did what she did and she invited Adam to come along and he decided to participate of his own free will, they rebelled against God and God came down to deal with them. What did Eve say? Not these words, but the devil made me do it. Right? So it was that serpent. He had a part to play, but Eve made her own choice. I remember back when I was a little boy in the 60s, 
There was a TV show and there was a comedian on there that he became famous. That was his tagline. The devil made me do it. And people have been using that as an excuse all through history. So we can't blame everything on the devil. There's not a demon behind every sickness or every character flaw that needs an exorcism. I'm pausing here for just a moment because every once in a while you hear about somebody who puts out some kind of a teaching or their spiritual group or whatever that no matter what need you have, they say, well, we need to pray that that demon will leave you. You got a problem with anger? We got to pray against the demon of anger. You got a problem with lust? We got to pray against the demon of lust. You got a headache? We got to pray against the demon of headache. You know that everything is caused by some kind of demonic force. And the reason I'm pausing on this is because we don't see that in Scripture, for number one. I mentioned that Jesus healed a lot of people. In most cases, when he healed them, it didn't mention any particular kind of spiritual, negative spiritual force that was at work to cause the sickness. They were just sick. But there were times that people had a physical condition, and Jesus says it was caused by a spirit. So sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. You might ask, Pastor, why are you making a big deal of this? The reason I'm making a big deal of this is that this can become an excuse for us to not be responsible for our own problems. Oh, yeah, I've got an anger, but you know what? I love Jesus, and it must be a demonic spirit. I have no control over it. No. Oh, I struggle with lust, but you know, it's, it's, it's Satan is, is causing this in my life. There's not really anything I can do about it, so I don't try. No. There may be demonic spirits at work to try to tempt you and to coerce, not coerce, you know, work within the situation to make it worse, but we still have control. We need to take responsibility. That's why when you read the writings of Peter and Paul and John, there's all these exhortations about this is how you need to live for Jesus. You need to make a choice with the Holy Spirit's help to walk in victory over your anger and over your lust and over this and over the other. And God does give that power and he does give that victory. But we don't need to take our enemy lightly. Our world plays with spiritual forces rather than taking them seriously. And sometimes we as Christians can do that too. We've got to maintain that very delicate balance to be believing in the fact that we really do have a powerful enemy. He really is trying to destroy us. But he's not behind everything. And if we've got God on our side, he can't control us. He can try to influence us, but he can't control us. And that brings us to the third point I want to make here. And that is, and I totally skipped a whole bunch of stuff, so let me back up. I'm going to make that third point in a minute. (laughs) I got all excited about the fact that Jesus will bring us victory, okay? So, uh, uh, spoiler alert, we're not there yet, but Jesus brings victory, okay? Jesus has more power than the enemy does. Let me back up. There was something else I wanted to say about this. How do people find the influence of Satan growing stronger in their life? I just wanted to deal with this for a couple of minutes before we move on. Because that is a big question, and the Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight There's not a particular book or chapter or passage that says, well, this is how people become under the influence of demonic spirits and how people become, quote, possessed and controlled by evil spirits. But let me just break this up into two groups. First of all, people who don't know Jesus Christ, which is all of us before we came to know him as our Savior, all unbelievers, we are already under the influence of Satan and his forces to some degree or another. 
In fact, the Bible says that when we're in that condition, the way that Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy is he's doing everything he can to keep us from hearing and understanding the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins and to set us free from all bondage and that we can have a relationship with God. One of the places it talks about this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, the God of this world, one of the titles for Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can I tell you, those of us who have a relationship with God, we have had our eyes open, we've seen the truth, we've come to Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, we need to pray And most of us do pray for those who don't know Jesus, friends, loved ones, strangers. We pray for missions and missionaries. We need to pray that God would open their eyes because the enemy is doing everything he can to blind them. If they can't understand the truth, if they can't know the truth, then they can't apply it to their lives. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He's talking to believers, but he's talking about from before they came to know Jesus. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. There's another one of those titles that's used for Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He says, before you knew Jesus, you were walking just like everybody else. You were living just like everybody else in the world, which was under the influence and under the direction of the prince of the power of the air, involved in all kinds of sin. This prince of the power of the air is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, we were under God's judgment because we were just going with the flow, living for ourselves, contrary to God, rejecting him and his love. He goes on in that passage to talk about that Jesus changed everything. So how do people come more under the influence of Satan? Well, again, first of all, without Jesus, we all are. But we can open our lives, and maybe some of you have a testimony like that, to a more increased influence from satanic forces in our lives. By seeking and practicing occultic activities. How do you define occultic activities? From all the research that I've done and looking up definitions and stuff, the the simplest way I think I can describe it is this, is anytime a person, even as a believer, anytime a person who is seeking after any kind of supernatural experience or knowledge or something like that that is not from God, that's an occultic experience. And people without Christ do that. Sometimes Christians can dabble in it too through curiosity, through ignorance. We've got to be very aware. Spiritual, supernatural activity apart from God. And you combine that with a rebellion against God, a rejection of God, and it makes a volatile mixture that opens the door for satanic evil spiritual forces to get involved in our lives. Sometimes it comes from a desire to be free from control. 
It's one of the reasons people reject God, reject his plans, reject his instructions. I want to be free. This demonic, demoniac in this story, he was free, right? He couldn't be controlled by anybody. He didn't have to do anything he didn't want to do as far as people are concerned. But he was even more bound than a person who wasn't under those influences. Can I tell you that when our flesh cries out, says, I want to be free, free from God's control, free from God's rules, free from God's guidelines about the areas of our life, my life, you may feel that way for a while, but eventually you'll become more bound than you could ever have been, ever have imagined. Now, what about believers? What about people who are Christians? What about people who are followers of Jesus? Know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you, first of all, believers cannot be possessed by demons. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Satan himself and no demons can have total control over a believer, over a son or a daughter of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. However, the spiritual forces that are there can still impact us, and they do, and they try. Christians can be oppressed. They can be attacked, definitely be tempted. Anybody ever been tempted since you came to know Jesus? That was a rhetorical question. We all get tempted all the time, every day. Spiritual forces are behind that. So believers may not be totally controlled by evil forces, but there are those evil forces that are arrayed against us. And we will face Satan's attack even if we're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ doing everything perfect, which nobody's ever done. I haven't done it. So Satan can even come against us. But the Bible makes it clear that even though he cannot possess us, he cannot take total control of us, there are things that we can do deliberately, ignorantly, or whatever that opens the door a little bit wider for Satan's activity in our lives. Not possession, but his activity. One specific one that Paul even talks about, he talks about it in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. We're not going to read that. But he's talking about the issue of anger. And he says, you need to get a hold of your anger. And you need to deal with it very quickly because when you do not deal with your anger quickly, it gives the devil a foothold. What does that mean? I don't know. Other than that, if we don't deal with our wrongful anger in the right way, it opens a door for the devil to have some kind of impact and influence in our lives to some degree. And I don't want that. The Bible also seems to indicate that whenever there are areas of continuing sin in our lives and we're not willing to deal with that, that becomes an air of spiritual weakness where the enemy can come in and begin to pry and begin to cause problems. And, and, and to be honest with you, that's just obvious. Sin is what causes division and causes barriers between us and God. And if we aren't willing to deal with it right away, it's going to cause problems and it's going to open a door for the enemy to get a foothold. But as I said, if believers begin to get involved in occultic-type things, whether deliberately or in ignorance or thinking there's really nothing to it, say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Let me just give you a list of some things that are occultic-type activities. As I said, the, the definition is kind of the study and practice of supernatural phenomenon and powers apart from God. Some are very popular in the world. Astrology, horoscopes, Tarot cards, palm reading, fortune telling, Ouija boards, 
Magic. Now, I'm not talking about people that can do illusions, okay? I'm talking about people who actually seek after or try to harness energy, power to do things that is supernatural. Psychics. All these things have to do with the supernatural in a way that has nothing to do with God. And there are several places in Scripture where God told his people have nothing to do with these things or these people. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to stay away from that. Before we move on, I just felt compelled this morning to throw this in here as we pray for people. And we're praying for their interaction um, with the enemy. I already talked about praying for non-believing family members and friends and that kind of thing, you know, that God would open their eyes because they're being blinded by the enemy. But I've mentioned this before, but um, not only do I try to pray for one of our missionaries every day, I encourage you all to do that. Okay, the lists are in the lobby. But there's a list that's put out every year by um, Voice of the Martyrs and some other organizations that list the top 50 countries where Christians face the strongest persecution. So I not only try to pray for one missionary every day, but I try to pray for one of those countries every day. And then once I pray for that, I go to the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. This morning I was praying for Turkmenistan. Unless I look on a map, I don't even know where it's at. But this morning... I was praying for believers in Turkmenistan. And I may not pronounce that exactly right. You know how I pray for them? They're being persecuted. I mean, the enemy is coming out after them. There are some of them, some of these countries, they're in places where, you know, if it's found out that they're a believer, they're a Christian, they could be uh, fired from their job. They could be held back from promotion. They could be thrown into prison or a concentration camp in places like North Korea. Or they could even be put to death for their faith. How do, I, how do I pray for them? I pray for them along the lines of this spiritual warfare. I pray, Lord, fill them with your spirit. Help them to be strong in you. Help them to stand strong against the enemy's attacks in three different areas. Help them to stand strong against the enemy's attempt to get them to deny their faith. Help them to stand strong against the enemy's attack that tries to get them to give in to temptation. And help them to stand strong against the enemy's attack that wants to get them to believe in false teaching. That's another area we haven't even touched on that Paul talks a lot about. That there are demonic spirits behind false teaching with even the realm of the church. Because if you can get people off track, believe in the wrong stuff. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. Now let's go on to the final. Let's jump to a minute. The third point here. There's four of them total, just so you know. Jesus is stronger than Satan. Oh, thank you for that response. I was waiting to see if you were awake or asleep. Jesus is stronger than Satan. No doubt. There's this kind of idea that there's this good force and bad force in the world and the good and the evil and they're constantly battling back and forth and who's going to win and we kind of tip the scale and all that. I tell you what, there is no kind of comparison between Jesus Christ and Satan. Satan is extremely powerful and dangerous, way more powerful than I ever have been and I ever will be. But with Jesus in me and Jesus in you, he doesn't count. I shouldn't say he doesn't count for nothing, but he, he can't have the victory. You look at this story. And Jesus comes up against this man. He's already delivered some people from demons. One or two here or there. There's the story of Harry and Mary Magdalene. He relieved her of seven demons, and that was considered, whoa, that's a big deal. But in this story, he comes up against an army of demons. It didn't take Jesus any more strength to deal with the army than it did with one because he has all power and authority. 
He is stronger than Satan. In fact, many times when Scripture says that people were just amazed at Jesus, it's not just because he could heal people and he could feed people, he multiply food, but many times it's in the conjunction in, in connection with a story where he delivered somebody from demons because there were there were exorcists in their day, people who tried to cast out demons, and they had all these rituals and they had all these things that they would burn and all these things they would make people do, all these home remedies, you know, old wives' tales, all these things, and they would try to find the demon's name because if you could find the demon's name, you could cast you know, all these things, and sometimes it kind of worked a little bit and sometimes it didn't, but Jesus, he didn't have to do any of that. He said, go, and they're gone. They're out of there. Out of there. Jesus is stronger than Satan. We know the main reason Jesus came was to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. But the Bible makes it very, very clear in 1 John 3, 8. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The fact that mankind is bound in their sin totally and completely bound for an eternity, separated from God, already separated from God, was the work of the devil from the beginning all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus came to turn that all around. But not just to die on the cross, the most important thing, to pay the price for our sins, but also to break the bondage that Satan tries to bring on people today. Jesus is stronger than Satan. For those of us that are believers in 1 John 4, 4, John says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus is stronger than Satan. As I was studying this week, I came out, came across this statement. I thought it was so cool. Should have put it in the notes. I didn't do it. Sorry. Jesus was outnumbered, but he was not outmatched. Jesus was outnumbered, but he was not outmatched. Many, many more demons than Jesus as a personality, as a person, but he was not outmatched. The fourth and last thought, we can have victory over Satan. We can have victory over Satan. I'll be honest with you, I I didn't pay that much attention to the songs we were going to sing this morning. I made up my service schedule. Uh, Pastor Nate, I assume he chose the songs. Maybe he let Amber do it since she led today. I don't know who chose the songs. They were put into our planning center schedule thingy, and I copied it into my my uh, service schedule so I can keep track of everything and stuff. And I, but as we were singing, I thought, oh my goodness, whether well, it's Pastor Nate or Amber, whoever, they either deliberately or God just led them or both to the songs that go with this song with this sermon. We sang about the fact of freedom that we have freedom in Jesus Christ. We sang found in you, and it talked about breaking chains, you know, and it brought all this bondage that's there, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to give us victory. What a tremendous set of songs to focus on the victory that we can have in Jesus Christ. Going back to the verse I quoted before, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy But I, Jesus, came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Look at this man. This man who had been so possessed, controlled, overwhelmed by these demonic forces, these demonic spirits, and the condition that he was in, that after he had the encounter with Jesus, it says in verse 35, He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Little anecdote here. When I first came here to be pastor 
18 years ago. And we'd have a men's prayer meeting or something like that. There were two great men of God. Brother Wills, he was an elder. Um, Brother McGee, Dave's here, his son's here. He was a deacon at that time. He became an elder. And I remember hearing them pray. And a lot of times they'd be praying saying, Lord, thank you so much that you woke me up this morning. I'm clothed and in my right mind. Any of you ever pray that way? Great way to pray. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I asked, I said, so why do you pray that? Do you know where that comes from? And I forget which one I asked. I said, well, I can't really remember. I just know that I'm glad that God woke me up this morning. And I'm clothed in my right mind. And I told him it was from this story, you know. But it's just really cool, you know. So they used to pray that way. But there's this man who's been so overwhelmed for so long. And now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, peaceful, calm, clothed in his right mind. His life has been restored because Jesus Brings victory. Jesus can erase the power and effects of evil in a person, bring a total change. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Let me just say, if you happen to be here today or you're watching online and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, You have not turned to him to ask for forgiveness of your sins based on what he's done and committed your life to him. I want to challenge you and encourage you to do that. And you might say, well, I hear what you say, but I don't have any major problems in my life. This demonic thing, I've never come across anything like that, and that's very well true. I mean, if you say it's true, it's true. But can I tell you that without Jesus Christ, you're exactly where the enemy wants you. Because without Jesus Christ, you may have a life that you somewhat enjoy now or whatever. Maybe you enjoy it a lot right now, but you're facing an eternity without God, and that's not a threat. You have a God that loves you and wants what's best for you, sent Jesus to die for you, wants to rescue you from an eternity separated from him, separated from all that is good and right and holy. We call it hell. The Bible calls it hell. Pictures are given of flames and worms that die not. And all. Is that literal? Is that figurative? I don't really care one way or the other. We're separated from God. We're separated from all that is good. We're alone. No one wants to go to hell. That old saying of, I'm just going to party with my friends in hell. No, no, people won't do that. And again, that's not a threat. That's where we're going to go without God, and God doesn't want us to go there. And if Satan can keep you from reaching out to Jesus so you'll end up there by giving you a nice, easy life and never have any encounters with with weird things like this, he'll do it. But it takes the Holy Spirit's work within your heart, and maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. You realize you are a sinner, and you need a Savior, and I challenge you to turn to him today. But as we get ready to wrap this up, I just want to tell those of us who are believers, we need to be aware of our enemy. We need to... Be alert. Let me just read it from Peter again. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. Be sober-minded. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. Christians should have the most fun in the world. God's joy. But in the midst of it, we need to pay attention. We need to be serious about our relationship with God and guarding against the enemy. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's where I stopped. But as the enemy comes against us to try to oppress us and attack us and tempt us, he goes on in verse 9 to say, resist him firm in your faith. It's up to us to resist the enemy. Jesus brings the victory. Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross. He's still trying. He's like the defeated enemy that the army's still loose out there. They're causing as much destruction as possible before they're all rounded up. 
He says we need to resist, and we do that by being firm in our faith. We can't just float through life. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church a lot, and I do this. And we're, we're, we're not working on being firm in our faith. James says something similar. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's the thing. If we will do what we're supposed to do, if we will work to be firm in our faith, and sometimes people skip that first part, submit yourselves to God. They just say, resist the devil. No, first you have to submit to God. It's like, God, I'm your child. I want to be submitted to you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want your spirit to dwell within me, to fill me afresh and anew. I want to walk in your power. I want to walk in your victory. I'm submitting myself to you. You tell me what I'm supposed to do. Something in my life not not making you happy, you show me. I want to change. I'm going to need your help, but I want to change. Submit yourself to God. It says if you do that, when you resist the enemy, he will flee. Amen. Now, it may only be for a short time. I think of that situation where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and said the devil left him for a while until there was another opportunity we're going to face this the rest of our lives while we live here on earth but we have God's promise Jesus brings the victory and if we resist the enemy he will flee how do we do that that's subject of a whole nother sermon study or series but can I tell you the key things to walking in victory is living a life of obedience getting into God's word Talking with God through prayer. Being filled with His Spirit and His power and putting on the armor of God. I encourage you this week to read through and study Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. That's all about the armor of God. Investigate that. Look into that. But we must make a choice. The story ends with some choices. You have the people from the town who show up and say, Jesus, leave. They're afraid. Many times people reject Christ because they're afraid. They're afraid of the effect it might have on their lives. They don't want to give up certain things. They're afraid it's going to affect them financially. It's going to affect their, their morals. It's going to affect their lifestyle. It's going to affect their friendships. It's going to, whatever it might be, but they're afraid. Maybe they're not afraid. They just don't care and they don't want it. Again, I just challenge you, please don't turn away. God's call to you to come to him. And accept salvation through Jesus Christ. Because they asked Jesus to leave. And he did. Now can I tell you that if today God's speaking to your heart. You say God I don't want you today. That Jesus is just going to leave you alone. He'll never come back to you. I'm not going to say that because God loves you too much not to keep coming back. But there will come a day it'll be too late. And that's not a threat. It's a warning. Don't turn Jesus aside. Don't ask him to leave but the other choices we can do like this man he was set free he was healed he was saved he wanted to be with Jesus he said Jesus let me go with you I want to be one of your followers I want to be one of your disciples but you know God has a different plan for every person and Jesus knew that in his plan for this man and for this area that man needed to stay there because he was the only since Jesus was leaving he was at that moment the only voice for God in that area he says no I want you to stay here And I want you to go to your family. They're going to rejoice with you and tell them what God did for you. And the Bible says he did that not only for his family, but for everybody. I have a feeling he became the person that when people saw him coming, that if they were resistant to God, they'd say, oh, I wish he'd go away. He won't ever quit talking about Jesus. Sometimes God calls people to go like he does missionaries. He calls all of us to go into our world. And can I tell that in our world, in our family, in our workplace, Among our friends at school should be the first place we tell people 
about Jesus and the difference that he can make. So I encourage you to make the right choice today. So as we wrap this all up, I just want to say, we need Jesus to face the evil that is in this world. Satan and his spiritual force, we need Jesus. And overall, I hope that today this has opened our eyes and made us more aware of how we got to pay attention, take a stand and walk in victory. But also I know that there are probably some of you that are here and some of you that are at home online or wherever you might be that you're wrestling with, you're battling some spiritual things right now. So this is how I want us to end. I'm going to ask us to stand. As we usually do, our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to ask our elders to come forward, please. And we're going to be here to be available to pray with you. You can come for prayer for anything, for yourself or for someone else you care about. We'll join with you. But I especially want to encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time, you say, I feel like I'm fighting a spiritual battle. And I want to experience victory. Would you just pray with me that God will help me? And we just want to join with you. And we want to pray with you and for you that God will bring victory in whatever area that might be. So let's sing this song. If you want prayer, I encourage you to come. We want to join with you and believe God for his help in your life. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I just feel that there may be some that want to spend a little more time in God's presence, so I've asked the worship team to continue to sing for a while. But I want to pray a blessing and God's anointing on you so that when you feel led that you need to leave, that you can do that with no guilt, no whatever. But I encourage you to wait in God's presence as long as you want. We'll still be down here if you want some prayer. I'll still be down here anyway. Some of us will be if you want prayer for anything. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. You're here every time we gather together. We especially thank you for your presence today. God, I pray that this message would not frighten us, but would instead, Lord God, make us aware that we have an enemy that we can have total victory over. And I pray that you'd help us to do exactly that, Lord God. That you'd help us to walk in victory because we stay close to you. We seek to please you. We seek to do what you want us to do. You fill us with your spirit. Fill us all, Lord, afresh and anew with the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we go out into our world today and this week, may we walk closely with you and experience your presence and power. I pray, Lord, for anybody who's struggling today, that they'd find the answer, they'd find the solution, they'd find the power and strength they need in you. And God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 